you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the White? Darth Plagueis is the Dark Lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise. He can use the Force to influence the midi-chlorians to create... Together, we can rule the galaxy as father and son. You may want to rule as father and son, but this here is no place for a Padawan. This is the dark side. This is Sith Dark. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Rebel Scum and loyal to the Empire. This is Sith Talk, the show where we talk about everything. Star Wars comics, movies, books, TV, everything in between, but most importantly, fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi. It is here. Yes, we are excited. Of course, I am Zach Chrisman, a.k.a. the Lord of Lore, having more fun than I ever have in my entire life right now when it comes to Star Wars. And joining me is, a.k.a. the Lady of Lore, Lindsay. Lindsay, oh my gosh, there are so many things to talk about. Uh, first of all, how the hell are you doing? I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing good. You know, the, the typical craziness of life, but all really good things. One of those, those summers where I'm already looking at my calendar and I'm like, oh, my next free Saturday is like the end of August. But you know what? It's, it's all good stuff. So I certainly don't mind, um, especially when we, we have these kind of midweek treats to keep us going. Uh, throughout the week that now is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, but I'm I'm all in all, you know, I'm doing good. I'm just packing a lot. Um, kind of did the count today. And I realized that with as busy as I am, even though I'm not moving until mid-July, I only have 13 days that I can actually pack my house up. Um, so that's been been taking up a ton of my time. But how have you been? I've been good, you know. Uh, we've mentioned over the last couple of months since, really, you know, you started uh, joining me. Which, oh my God, like this is the, you know, I I love Sammy B. I miss Sammy B. I can't wait. You know, we've talked about him eventually joining up for at least uh, an episode of Obi Wan to talk. He's busy moving as well. He just bought a new home. Everything's doing good. He's just busy, but I've had so much fun with you on this show and just. I wish I wish that people could see some of our interactions and then some of them maybe not because me and you tend to vibe and you know have fun with things um but I I'm just having so much fun with you on the show and it is absolutely been such a ride with you being here and I I'm so excited but to 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 like kind of go off of where we started here obviously I talked about my transition at work it's been a lot, but it's been very gratifying, and today was like the longest day ever. I feel like I might say that every episode, but really we record on Wednesdays, and generally Tuesdays and Thursdays are just like the biggest days of work for me. So, But what's different is even in the exhaustion, it's still like 
it has become not a job to talk here with you guys or to come up with things. Like it is a general excitement to to like be here and and hang out with you so it's been a lot of fun um, yeah i appreciate I'm a blast that with you. and you know what it's it's so funny because i feel like now we can somehow even have more fun because all of our fun up to this point has been so much anticipation for things like yeah. celebration announcements and obi-wan and obviously we're going to spend probably the next year still anticipating acolyte like we have been for the past few weeks um yeah but it's it's crazy that now after all this time and all this fun we've had we can start really 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 getting hyped about new things that we're experiencing together for the first time and in quite some time you know i i think we were both excited for book of boba fett and i don't think it really paid off the way that we we would have hoped uh, there's been some books that we've been excited for, but but nothing like this. This is really kind of monumental. Uh, so so it's just awesome having a friend like you, who I have so much fun with, that I get to experience it with. Oh, for sure. I mean, and Clashing Saber's gonna uh, the main show is gonna definitely talk about their on the boots. I had talked to, with Brandon about it upon recording today, and they're definitely going to do their full like celebration experience. But the exciting thing about Sith talk for those of you, um, is that Sith talk is going to become like the main Obi-Wan show based on everything that me and me and Brandon had talked about. Of course, they're going to talk about, you know, Obi-Wan in their, their lighter sense, but this is kind of the show that we're going to really get into Obi-Wan Kenobi and really do those deep dives because the next episode of Clashing Sabers is going to be very much talking about um, celebration. And then of course we have, you know, episodes four and five to talk about when we release. And then I'm pretty sure both shows are going to be talking about the finale. Yeah, and I'm I'm so happy about that just because I feel like there's so much good shit to talk about in this show. Um, and and uh, look, I'm so happy that they were able to go to Celebration. I think being at Celebration, it, I say it all the time, but it's about the people you meet. Like that's where you and I met. That's that's where like we, you you build a whole community and and a whole new group and circle of people in your life. And I think that's the real draw to Celebration. But yeah. I found that it was like we had our, you know, what do you hope to learn? What do you hope they release? And they they released the Ahsoka trailer, quote unquote, which wasn't really much. Um, I know Brandon got to see a little bit more of it. Um, Adriana got to watch the, the Kenobi premiere, which is awesome. But all in all, we didn't learn a crazy amount of new information about like new shows or games like like we had hoped. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, you know, I wasn't there. So feeling that energy, I think they might have a better standpoint yeah. when it comes to the actual vibe of that, which to me, when it comes to these cons and celebration, really the crowd energy is all that yes. really matters. How you feel when your boots are on the ground. And of course, that's what inspired us, me and Sam, to even like get in contact with you guys had we not showed up that night and we were all kind of vibing on the energy. I mean, that's like time and chance, but it's also passion that led us to that. So it's tough to tell from our perspective what the feeling was around celebration. And I've, I've listened to, you know, some of my favorite star Wars podcasters or people that are just very passionate about it. And they were having a blast. I mean, there's a lot of different topics when it comes to like the shows of, I, I think for me, the biggest announcement when it comes to new announcements was the Andor trailer and yes. also the John Watts um, 
show that he announced yeah. and some of the the followers that I tend to view um, had actually met with John Watts uh, right after his um, announcement. And I think the way that some of the media portrayed his show is it portrayed as a bunch of kids, you know, post Return of the Jedi kind of lost. But from what John Watts told Christian Harloff, somebody who I follow a lot, he had said, look, it is a show about kids, but it is not a kid show. Which is such it like is, a John Watts thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which which uh, that clarification means a lot to me. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited about it. But that's I, I was just kind of shocked that I feel like all the major announcements came like within the first five minutes. Yeah, that's definitely how it felt with us. That's yeah. that's for sure. It felt like Thursday. It was you know like me and you were yeah Thursday I mean, like three we were like constantly yeah. Yeah, constantly back and forth, back and forth. And then it was like Friday, uh, and then me and you were texting each other and we were like, oh man, I, I feel like, you know, if there was any year to miss, <laughs> it was this one. Yes. And then we we heard about the Ahsoka uh, trailer and the Mandalorian, you know, rumored Mandalorian season three trailer that was coming out. And yeah. we were like, shit, shit, shit. Yeah. But, but so it goes. I, Exactly. And I mean, do you have any, because with me, at least right now, I think there's plenty to dissect when it comes to celebration, but I'll be honest, I'm like all about Obi-Wan. Yeah, today. for me, Obi-Wan is like the, the main thing to talk about. You know, that's that's the thing that I think uh, fans are really still geared up for and, and still really excited about. And certainly I am. And and so I, I want to make a... Um, a sad comment or something that is okay. not fun to talk about before I talk about okay. the fun yeah. stuff. Um, there has been recent, you know, um, Moses, Moses Ingram has talked on Instagram about some of the, you know, the racial um, comments that she's been getting on Instagram. And I, you know, this is not something that I don't, I don't always like to talk because Star Wars is something that I want to talk about and I want to have fun talking about and talk about like the fun stuff, um, the majority wise, because all the other stuff that I've had negative in the past, I've said it multiple times. It's, it's kind of repeat and I've decided to move on. When it comes to these racist comments, there will always be people out there that are going to message harsh, racist unthought of things to these actors and it's 100% not fucking okay so I'm going to say that this is going to be a Kenobi discussion we're not going to talk about everything but I will say this as a prequel kid the best part of celebration to me was Thursday night when Hayden and Ewan McGregor were on the main stage talking and they couldn't get a fucking word out because they got so much praise yeah. and so much love every second of the way. And you can see Hayden Christensen's eyes light up with the support. He was a rock star on that stage. Well Ewan deserved. McGregor was a Finally, rock star yeah. on that fucking stage. Fans could not stop saying, like yelling, screaming. They couldn't get a word to the point where they wrap up and Hayden... You know, this guy's been beaten down for years, for years and years and years. Not by the color of his skin, 
which is terrible. And I don't want to see that shit fucking fly no matter what. That's just awful. I mean, I, I'll, I will never know that. And it's 100% not okay. So for me, when it comes to Moses Ingram, if you're out there, whether you like Reva or not, whether you like the portrayal, let's show, let's show some love. Let's show that we have learned from our prequel past, from maybe the OT fans that were hard on these people, and, and maybe learn from these prequel kids who always loved Hayden Christensen, Ewan McGregor. Let's show her some love. Let's welcome these actors into the zeitgeist of Star Wars. Let's give them a chance to actually finish their fucking arc before we come at them. Let's, let's, and let's not let color be that decision. I think for all of our listeners out here, you are not those type of people. I hope you're not those type of people. But I can tell you right now, let's show her some love. And when it comes to love, oh my God, I was a kid when I was watching Celebration Live and the fans were worshiping Hayden Christensen. And the best part was when they said, do you guys have anything left to say? And Ewan McGregor looks at Hayden and Hayden just goes, this is where the fun begins. So good. So good. Like that's, that's the right energy, right? That's for, for everyone. That's the energy that we want to bring. And they did it. And they're yeah, continuing and it, to do it, I think, week after week now. And it's like I said on our Instagram page, let's not let the loud few cast a shroud of darkness on this fandom. Let's be better. Let's show that we're better. And if those people are going to be loud, let's be even louder of our love and support to these characters. I love it. Um, It's something that I really, that really kind of shook me as a prequel kid, not even as a white man, as a prequel kid watching these actors get hated on for the majority of my life. Now, finally getting to see them get the love and worship that they deserve. Yeah. It was I'm great seeing Ahmad best come out in, in support of her too. Yeah. And you know what? I, I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of it guys. If you guys don't like it, that's fine. I don't like a lot of things in star Wars, but you know what? We gotta, we gotta, we gotta show love and support to the actors. Cause it's just a job. They're just taking this job. <laughs> They're loving it, and you know what? We got it. We got to show that love. But anyway, I I just wanted to make that clear because I really felt kind of it. It really was off-putting. It's not affecting my experience with Obi Wan, but it really kind of shook me yesterday, uh, which would be Tuesday upon recording um, when all this news came out. So I just wanted to say that you know me myself. Um, but with that being said. Um, Unless you have any comments, do you want to get into Obi-Wan? Yeah, let's get into Obi-Wan. I think uh, everything you said is really well put. I couldn't uh, top that. So let's get into the good stuff. Yeah, let's let's do it. So episode one of Obi-Wan, we start out with a epic, like an, a completely epic um, fan cut of, of previously on Star Wars. <laughs> Lindsay, how did you feel about all of that? Because me and you were actually, for me, it was my first viewing with you. I think it was like your, at least your second viewing, yeah, it but was probably my third. Yeah, with you, I think, yeah. Um, but I mean, look, like my first time watching that, it was like a shiver down the spine kind of moment. Just because for, for nothing else other than it was so real then. You know, up in, up until that moment, I think it was just a lot of, wishful thinking and and idealizing what this show could potentially be and what it could potentially mean 
And, and in that moment, it was real. It was here. You know, it, it wasn't something that I had to wonder about anymore. Like that was kind of the, the, oh my God moment for me on top of, obviously we don't need a plot wise recap, you know, we're, we're here because we remember everything in vivid detail and we rewatch these movies every chance we get, but just the feeling of this is, this is what it's like to see star Wars for the first time. You know, this is what it was like when I was 15 years old watching revenge of the Sith for the first time. Um, and just, just having that moment again and that feeling again was, was such a cool way to kick it off. I didn't think they would, it, you know, in hindsight, yeah, it makes total sense that they would do that. But it just, ah, man, what a good idea to start off that way. Yes, and I think what the show did really well is something that, while I love Zack Snyder and Justice, or uh, Dawn of Justice, and I always compare things to Zack Snyder because I think... You do, but then you get mad when other people compare things to Zack Snyder. <laughs> hey, maybe I do. Um you know, Zack Snyder very much cinematically showed you the um, the agony of Superman or the pain of Batman. What I love about this show, in, in regards of episode one, of our part one of Obi-Wan Kenobi, is that Ewan McGregor's face of where he's at in life is shown through his acting. Deborah Chow doesn't change anything of like showing you cinematic pictures. It's all in our actor's eyes mm-hmm. of where he's at. You don't... This is done during the day, not at darkness of Gotham when it's raining. This is during the day that we see his face, the way he carries himself. The man is now... Well, look, before, was once before a, we get there, though, what do you... know? You asked me about what I think of the, the fanwise supercut... What did you think about starting with Order 66 again? I thought it was extremely necessary. Um, I couldn't believe that it happened as the first thing that we saw. And I, you know, and and given our conversation, I think the first thing I said was, oh shit, oh shit, when me and you were talking. Because it added weight. This whole first episode, actually I'm going to say the whole series so far, there's a weight in every scene. And when it comes to that ex- that opening scene of Order 66 and the chaos and like, shh, shh, shh quiet children, you know, like every, yeah. and the panic of what's going on, there's a weight to those ramifications immediately in the show. And that weight is felt. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. For me, it was also just such a reminder to like, yeah, it's one thing for us as the super fans who dive into rebels and we dive into these books like we are never going to forget about order 66 right but that being said there's still people who are probably watching this show who maybe haven't seen revenge of the sith since 2005 and they do need that reminder and it was such like a harsh reminder of hey, this is the recap of what happened. This is why it was terrible. Here's even some new footage of why it was terrible. Let's go from here. So it was just, to me, absolutely astonishing. Yeah, it it was something that really incorporated the then to now. Where we started versus where we began. And I, I appreciated that we started off on that front 
um, and you got to see more boots on the ground and the chaos of what that situation was. It, yeah. it, it was, it was exactly what it needed to be. In regards yeah, of Obi Wan, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and and in the in the regards of Obi Wan, how do you? I well, I mean, like one, I'm gonna say. We're definitely getting Qui-Gon. I mean, with the announcement of uh, yeah, yeah. Liam Neeson, you know, doing voice acting for the Tales of the Jedi, and the way that that cut, that first, like, up until now, or previously on Star Wars, it ends with, you know, your old master, learn to commune with him, I will. And the first thing I told you is like, we are getting fucking Qui-Gon. Like, whether or not we get it in this episode, we're getting him. How did you feel about the entrance of the Inquisitors? How do you feel about that whole opening scene of when they show up on Tatooine? Um, all right, look, I'll be honest. I have kind of like three critiques of this show, all of them involving the Inquisitors. Mm-hmm. And I had said this at the time of the initial trailer, and I'll say it again. I do believe that I have seen better cosplay than I have these Inquisitors. Um, so, so to me, like seeing them, it was kind of a, a bit of a, oh man, like it, it just doesn't look as, as sharp and as sleek and as realistic. You know, again, I've, I've seen absolutely incredible, incredible cosplay and I do feel like I've seen more professional looking cosplay. Um, but one of the things that I did really like was how immediate it was. I thought that we were going to kind of sit in silence for a while, right? And and do almost like the Obi-Wan version of Luke in The Last Jedi going through the farmer life. And I thought we would have to really build up to that moment and to that tension. And it would take a little while to get into that. So just to start everything and to open it up with, hey here's where we are, here's the danger, the danger is real, the danger is immediate, and it's happening right now, I thought it was a really fantastic, fantastic choice. And it set the tone for what the rest of the show is going to be. Yeah, and I I like that the opening with the... I, I kind of agree with you in regards of the first episode. When it comes to the way they look, the way they feel, in the daylight, it did look a little bit um, a little bit underwhelming when it comes to their look and design. I think it gets better as the show goes on. But what I really love is the Grand Inquisitor's dialogue. You know, the Jedi, you know, the Jedi code is like an itch. And that whole scene where he throws a knife and they catch it. And, or the Jedi catches it. it, it it's like right on cue. And when it comes to that whole scene... I love that they were so easily snuffed and that that they were bored at this point when it comes to the Jedi. When it comes to Reva, in the first two episodes, I will say that her acting... I can now, now that I've seen the episode three, I can see why she was reactionary. Because when you are unhappy with your job position, you tend to act out a lot more than you really want to. You tend to be more emotional than you plan to. You are tired of it. And into episode three, when she kind of comes into her, her own a little bit more, it, it kind of changes the arc, at least for me a little bit. But 
her reaction seems very brash. And it's it's a little bit off-putting in that episode, but I will say that the Inquisitors and and they're they've they've mastered what it takes to catch a Jedi. Let's talk about Obi-Wan. I've seen some criticism when it comes to the way he treats treats um, the Jedi who reaches out to him in the in the, the desert sun. And how he's very much you know, not trying to help him. I mean, he he's not going to take him in. He's not going to be a saving grace. He very much tells him, bury your lightsaber in the sand, which later on we find out that that's literally what Obi-Wan did. Um, and I take that as a man that has completely lost his way. I think Obi-Wan, at the start of this series, and this is the, the, the highlight of this ep- this episode for me, is... This man that always had something cheeky to say, always held on hope, always thought of a brighter future, has completely lost it to the point where he says, just bury your lightsaber. You know what that means? He's looking at somebody who he had possibly walked the same halls in the Jedi Council with. And he's telling him, get rid of it. Be done. Go away. The man cowers his head everywhere he goes. He's literally living under a rock. And I think the best thing that I had to offer when it comes to, uh, you know, our Clashing Sabers pod or our, our, our text chat was that in the trailers, they show Owen dissing him and saying, oh, like you trained his father. And Obi-Wan barely, he doesn't fight back at all. That is a man that is broken. When somebody insults you on that level and spits in your face the way Owen spat in his face, that is somebody that is truly broken. And it is fascinating. It's not so overtly like a Zack Snyder film. But you can see it on his face. This man is broken. Hide your lightsaber. Just give up. Yeah, but that's why I'm I'm amazed. I didn't know that people were critiquing that scene. It's like, that's the fucking point, bro. Why would I watch a show about Kenobi just losing hope and coming back and doing exactly what he's always done? It's not an interesting story. I want to see him broken. I have to see him broken. If he's not broken, there's no fucking show. Exactly. And I think that is something that we've kind of... I think sometimes we, we, we expect our characters to be where we left them. Mm. And with this show... It, 10 years have passed and everything this man has lost and everything he's been through he's literally lost everyone he loves and now he's raising the kid of his dead brother slash son slash padawan and there's an empire he's lost his way he's not reaching out to the force he's not trying and that part where he says bury his lightsaber, I, I think it, it it is a man that is completely, completely broken. Now, well, when it it's okay. it's it's tough to um, kind of keep it to just episode one because we see it again later on, where it's not even just that that he's broken; it's that he has lost kind of Obi-Wan's core values, which which I think we see actually the most throughout the Clone Wars series, 
in that he is always ready to help, right? He's not someone who's just going to sit back and let people be in pain or, or not help when he can. And I think that wasn't even so much, you know, he's broken and he's done with the Jedi Order, is that he lost the core trait of that compassion that Jedi have for other people. And I think that was a major thing. And that's something we see again. I, I struggle to flash forward too much. But, you know, we're, we're going to see it again with, with Bale. And I think that's a really nice way to show it easily in that scene. So that when Bale comes to him and he needs help, it's less shocking. You know, it's it's not like, oh, my God, here's one of Obi-Wan's good friends. They've been through all of this together. And he's saying no. It's less shocking because we've already seen him say no to someone. We've already seen him deny help. In episode three, we see it again where someone needs help and, and he is just lost and hopeless and broken and says no. Uh, so so I think it's it says a lot. And it, that one one scene does so much for the entire show. And I can't believe people are critiquing it because the entire point is that he is broke. He is broken and he's lost his way. Well, and also the, the, one of the biggest things about this episode that I can kind of take away when it comes to episode one and feel free to like jump around as much as you want. It's definitely overwhelming to have one episode where we're talking about the first three episodes, virtually half of this season. So jump around as you need to, um, but in the regards of, you know, the Leia reveal, which to me is so genius. Like, I, I don't think I've ever mentioned that Leia was, would be a part of this, like in, in an actual, like main character arc, having Leia involved, I did not think that this would be a thing that, that would actually happen. And when I thought about it, it was so genius because his mission is to watch Luke, but his mission is to watch over the kids. Really? And so the only thing that would draw him out would be if the other kid was in trouble, which I think is actually genius. But what I love about the whole conversation that he has with Bale, you know, he says, I can't leave. I, I got to watch Luke. And he says, she's just as more important as he is. And it's like the best part of the starting of Obi-Wan is watching Luke and being broken Watching Luke had become a crutch where the only thing that mattered to him was watching Luke. He didn't care about the Jedi, the Empire, everything around it. His crutch was Luke. Mm. And in the way, in the idea, and the way the show just shows you without actually telling you is that is his only purpose in life. He has no other purpose. And in his head, He's he he's like kind of like half reaching out to Qui-Gon and reeling in his pain and expecting a response. But he's a shell of a man that basically says, Oh, I only have one job. Any other job is not my job. It's not my job. I have one job. My my job's to watch Luke. And I'm so depressed and so broken that I am not going to reach out and help anyone because this is my job. And I've become so uh conditioned in my own depression that that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. And so the only thing that would draw him out was Leia. Has to be this, yeah. And it's, let's it's, get into Leia. Let yeah, because it's almost like I said to you, it's almost silly that no one saw this coming. Because when you put it that way, it should be the most obvious thing in the world, right? Like, of course, it was Leia this whole time. 
of course she's the the catalyst for everything but just we we truly as a fandom i don't think saw this coming at all 100 percent, and i had heard some people kind of like talk about it but it always been like oh it'd be like kind of an afterthought kind of thing that leia would be maybe mentioned maybe shown a little bit but to be the catalyst of where everything starts that was definitely not where i went so when it comes to episode one seeing alderan seeing leia and her struggles seeing her relationship with bail it made my heart so happy and i can tell you that little actress that is playing leia is going to be a rock star because the conversations between leia and bail are so heartfelt and so defining on who the character is and her misunderstanding i leia seems like a brash you know confident being when we get to a new hope and in this one she's definitely brash but she is she knows that something is up and she doesn't know exactly why, but she knows something's wrong and she doesn't know her place. She knows that she is not an or, or she doesn't feel like she's an organa. And that conversation, you are an organa yeah. is so heartfelt and so deep. And I love seeing Alderaan because I really think that by the end of the series, new hope is going to be, it's going to feel better yes. in ways that it never did before. Actually seeing, the citizens, the political landscape, actually walking in the same halls of Org- uh, of Alderaan is going to be um, very impactful. And I, I love that that kind of dichotomy. No, I it's it's something, too, like I feel so lucky to have read um, Princess of Alderaan by Claudia Gray, because I feel like that really and truly gives this such an unbelievable amount of weight and, and just being able to understand more of Alderaan, more of a younger Leia, not quite this young, but seeing the connections here, it's just absolutely incredible to me. But overall, it's just, yeah, be, being able to experience those relationships and why joining the Empire, or I'm sorry, the, the Rebellion, seemed to be so important to Leia because of that family connection, I think is just incredible to finally get to see and get to see it so effectively and really and truly props to the little girl just such a fantastic actress i can't wait to see what she keeps doing absolutely and i i think episode one was really what i i i think ultimately in in my little fan plot written head that that just i was hoping that the show wouldn't be three episodes on Tatooine and then self-discovery after. I was very thankful to see us get off Tatooine by the end of the pilot. I think the pilot was very well written in the fact that you got the world, you got where the characters were living, you got where it was going, and our character actually got off, was was planning to go off-world by the end of it. Because that was important to me. Is It's very much emotional and there's a lot of depth, but it does move when yeah, it comes to the actual like pacing. A- like we had said too, it's not like uh, oh he was so eager to get off and and leave this planet and blah blah blah. Like it was deserved. It was him leaving was fought for, but just just to be able to have the adventure because that's something like me and you were concerned about was you know another show where we're just 
on Tatooine all the time and, and that's it. That's the show. Like this, I think, is just so fantastic. I mean, it's 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 something we had never thought we would get to see. And here we are now experiencing it in full. Yeah, and so I think moving into episode two, I'm actually kind of the minority. I think episode one is the perfect pilot. And I'm hearing, you know, that to some, maybe episode two didn't quite get as punchy, but I think there was more in the words and the acting in that episode two um, that had more weight to me. Um, just because I guess going into episode two, Obi-Wan is now looking to save Leia. Yeah. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He is very much in a culture shock of the world. He has not been outside. And when we talk about Obi-Wan, he's been literally living under a rock. Let's make that clear right now. This man is literally living under a rock up until now. So when he goes outside, it's it's very much of a culture shock to go off world and to see the other worlds and to see the landscape of what this looks like. And I guess I felt that a lot more in the actual way it was presented and Ewan McGregor's face um, in, in the entire episode two, trying to find Leia. And what I love about this episode so much is that the Inquisitors are still doing their job. They're hunting. They're they're moving things forward. Reva is very much a loose cannon in this episode, much more than she is even in episode one. You know, part part of her intrigue is she is so clear. They've made it so clear that she is after something and she's after Kenobi for a reason. At best, we can now say from from episode three that that reason is so that she can become the Grand Inquisitor. I hope it's something a little bit more than that, because I think that's kind of a lame reason. But, I mean, all in all, like, I loved I've, I've loved every episode so far. Every single right. episode I've loved. Absolutely. But, but I think that the beauty of episode two is it's still being earned, right? Like... Obi-Wan is is still really, really struggling with his role in this and, and what he's doing and why he's doing it and how he's going to do it. And he's very clearly still trying to talk to Qui-Gon and, and he's he's going through it. Like we're still earning this fight and we're still struggling so much. And then of course the, the big reveal that I'm sure we're gonna get to and talk about a little bit more, but but I thought this was still an exciting episode. And I, I think both episodes were fantastic in their own, you know, schools of what they're supposed to be. They're just, you know, episode two should be more of a setup. Like if you think of the the typical storytelling graph where you have your introduction and then it curves up with these, with these escalations and, and these events, and then towards the very tippy tippy top, yeah, that's that's going to be the climax, and then we're going to go into the resolution. Like this is this is really, I think, earning and taking its time to get to that point where you even have to have a real climax and then resolution for this story. And I like that we're getting these these events. Exactly, and so I guess what my point is, 
I think I like episode two more than episode one because of that building block. And when it comes to Reva, that's the only character that we don't quite fully understand when it comes to why she's lashing out. We understand that she has pressure of wanting to become a Grand Inquisitor. We still, even up to episode three, question why she's after Kenobi so much. Um, we question why she, how, how she knows certain things um, that we might get to, that we'll definitely get to later. Um, but she's a loose cannon. But what I love about this episode the most is Obi-Wan is continuing to be kind of culture-shocked, and he doesn't even know what he's doing as, as he's along for the ride. He's still very much rusty. I think the Inquisitors look even better in the night sky. I think that the actual look of them is much better in Episode 2 than 1. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, um, you know, um, Kane's character is much cooler looking. I think the Inquisitors just overall look better in Episode 2 in the night sky. But when it comes to Obi-Wan and Leia, that is the reason why I like Episode 2 more than 1. Is... And everything draws back to Ewan McGregor's acting and the actress that's playing Leia. Everything is told in the details of this episode, and I'm reading so much into it because this is my most anticipated Star Wars um, Star Wars thing since, you know, since Force Awakens. Um, this is the biggest thing to me. And the scenes where he is talking to Leia... And he's hiding things. And she's tapping in. And to me, she's definitely tapping into the Force long before she ever knew she does. And I think that's what the best thing about Leia is, you know, she was never destined with this Force destiny the same way Luke has. She's just always kind of tapped in. And it's kind of helped with the the way she picks up on people throughout the entire original trilogy. But even in this episode, or in these episodes of Kenobi... She is very much tapping into this man's pain, and yeah. it's making her off-putting. And I think the the relationship that I love so much is she can kind of like when he says, "I'm I'm here to help you," you know, "I your father sent me," and she's along for the ride because she knows that's true. Like she can feel that that's like kind of that seems right. And then the more he's like hiding from her, she's get she's questioning herself so much. And the best part about episode two is when she decides, I don't trust you, I'm running. And he is so desperate, the acting, he is so desperately, I can't get the, the, the actual dialogue out of my head. It's the first thing I think about when I think about Obi-Wan Kenobi, the series so far, is when he's saying, Leia, Leia, Leia. You know, the way he says it, he's so, he just wants to make sure she's okay. And that nothing happens to this child. And this man doesn't know what the fuck is going on. And he's looking at Padme. He's looking at Anakin. He's looking at Luke. He's looking at the future. And this kid is darting off this whole entire, you know, whole entire circle of emotions and situations and things that he sees in this kid alone. And who he is. I mean, it's so beautiful about this episode. One of the one of the things too that I love that you mentioned is Leia's kind of force abilities and the way that we're seeing it. And I love that she is the the kid isn't like, oh my god, you know, I have this superpower. What you know, what can I do with this? What does this mean? It's very just like subtle, subtle. You know, I think the most that we obviously saw was when she's talking to her cousin and she's like, you know, you're you're scared of him. 
but it seems like she never once realizes or anyone around her is really like totally alarmed by it. You know, it's just an intuitive kid. I think kids are, are known for seeing things that adults don't. And because of now we get to see kind of that structure of Alderaan and, and that autonomy that she's given, it's, you know, it's, it's expected. Just like Padme being the, the 12-year-old queen uh, of Naboo, it's, it's okay for kids on certain planets to have a little bit more authority. So it doesn't seem totally crazy that this little kid is able to pick up on all these emotions. But I love the subtle ways we see it where, to your point, it's like, you know, she's picking up on his nervousness. She's picking up that he on the fact that he's hiding something. And then jumping forward to episode three, when we, we have that exposition, more we know, being you and me, but I think new audience members, and Leia specifically, don't know, that, yeah, they're hunting children. You know, they're looking for Force-sensitive children. And maybe that's going to start to raise some alarms for her and start to lean on Kenobi a little bit more than, than she has been as just a way to get back to her father. Right. And when it comes to Leia herself, the biggest thing that I got out of her character, and of course, I'm going to read so much into the series, it's ridiculous. So if you guys want to have deep conversations, this is the show because I'm all about it. When I see Leia as, you know, in, in the series so far... She has the action of her mother, but the emotional intelligence of her father. Mm. And it's so scary to see because she picks up on everything and she reacts to everything Obi-Wan is saying. But until she picks up these things, she very much acts on instincts and acts on action, total action. Throughout this entire thing, she decides that somebody is not saying something's right. She darts. She runs. But she can also feel them and tap into that. And I think that's why in that chapter of, uh, what was it, from a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back, you know, Yoda talks about how Leia should have been the one that they, you know, kind of prioritized. And I'm not saying that Luke Skywalker shouldn't have been. I'm just saying that Leia is very much, there's a reason why in the sequel trilogy, she is carrying on and pushing past this um, adversity more than her brother has. Because yeah. she has a good balance of both. I just think the the thing that they still are going to have to explain, obviously, um, we're going to talk about, <laughs> we have to talk about uh, the Grand Inquisitor dying, and then we see him obviously in Rebels, so they have to explain that. The only other thing they're going well, to Well, I got you on that one. Do you okay. want to know that one? Because well, I figured that well, one out. We'll, we'll get to that, because the only other thing that they're going to have to explain is, I do think that after all this time, it is a little weird that Leia sends that hologram message, and she seems to have no idea who Obi-Wan is. Because even if he never gives the name, I feel like she should be able to put two and two together just because she is so sharp. You know, oh, there's this Jedi my father knows. There was also this Jedi who came to save me when I was a kid. Maybe it's the same person. Like, maybe you don't start with, you know, years ago you served my father. Uh, and, and you go with, hey, remember me? I'm that little kid you saved. You obviously know my family. Yeah, we're kind of, the cat's still out of the bag with that one, yeah. especially with some certain things that are revealed. Up in, up until episode two, you know, he does only describe himself as Ben. There are a couple of things that kind of 
um, would maybe question that. But this whole show, in in my opinion, is a little bit of a write around canon anyway. Like when when Vader says, "When I last met you, you were but the learner. Now I am the master." Yeah, you know, it's like it's a little bit of a adjacent write around. It's going to fit, but it's a little bit yeah. The that's how the show was. Anyway, we always knew that was going to happen. Hmm. Well, what's your what's your thought though on the Inquisitor then? The Inquisitor is definitely okay. He's definitely fine because he is a uh, Powan. And if you look into the race of Powans, they have two stomachs, and Reva stabbed him in, in the, the stomach. stomach. And they have two stars. All right. So it's Deborah Chow reaching very deep, but it does calculate. And it would make sense for a novice like Reva, being, you know, according to the Inquisitors so far, the least of us, um, to maybe make a mistake about the actual race. I mean, there's so many races in, you know, species Mm -hmm. in Star Wars. How would she, you know, she she's not a master of that. I mean, surely you couldn't keep track of everything. So it would make sense for her to stab any being in the stomach. But Pyowans actually in the Star Wars canon have two stomachs. You know what? I'll I'll give it to you. I'm not happy about it. Only because well well, I like the explanation. It's a little bit of a stretch. It's I don't think it is a stretch. I think you're probably spot it's on. It's convenient. It's it had to have been mentioned beforehand right like it seems like it's a the best example i can think to give is the one that drives me absolutely bonkers is uh <laughs> you ever see the movie tangled it's been a long time all right so you know how at the end of tangled and and i guess just for anyone who hasn't seen tangled great movie really good uh but the holding centers around Rapunzel and her her golden hair, her long glowing hair. And part of it is the hair has magical healing properties. And she can, you know, like, if someone gets hurt, she can wrap her hair around them, kind of sing this little song, and then the cut would be healed. And it's fine because they do it over and over and over throughout the movie. My issue with the movie comes from the fact that then at the end, spoiler alert here for Tangled, when the main character dies, she cries over him and suddenly her tears are also magical, which we hadn't seen. And it's just, you know, if if you're going to have something like that, you have to plant those seeds earlier on. And that would be my only gripe with with your theory. Well, I think it's right. I just wish they had mentioned or said something about him having two stomachs before. I kind of theorize it while to me, it seems like still, even though it makes sense, it's a convenient write off to me, even though I'm very appreciative of Deborah, Deborah Chow knowing and the script writers knowing <laughs> that they but have they, two stomachs. That's audience, a deep cut. The audience needs to know though. I think it's going to be a reveal that it's like an oh shit moment Reva fucked up and got a little too overreaching at the end of the show type of thing. No, that's... I think it will be revealed No, no, no. I'm saying that they had to have revealed beforehand that he has two stomachs. 
Otherwise, it's just maybe easy writing. Maybe, but for now, when it comes to fans, it is very much a um, a clickbait topic that everybody's talking about. Yeah. Is are they retconning Star Wars? I mean, that's that's the news articles that are going out right now. Um, so, with that being said, I think the best thing that I love about this entire one to two episode arc that I didn't know would happen. I kind of assumed based on episode one and two up until the very end that Obi-Wan knew that Anakin was alive. Canonically. I did not put those two and two together. I was hoping that was something that, that was that I didn't think would happen, but I was very happy to see. And the reveal that he is, that we got to watch him discover that Anakin is alive is huge. It's big. And that closing scene with Hayden fucking Christensen in the back to tank as Vader. Dude. Dude, so big. I think think when me and you were talking, I just go, fuck. That's all I said. And I just I can't get over the fact that we got to see that as viewers. I, I not, like to, to your point too, like going back to you and McGregor's acting and how incredible it is. It really was just a raw, real moment. And it really had never occurred to me because you, you made the joke. He's literally living under a rock, but he is, he was literally living under a rock. He had no idea, no idea that he was out there and this could have been happening and it came across so well and so beautifully and and just that moment of absolute panic for everyone and then understanding all the consequences of that you know it's not like he's been sitting here for years and years and years thinking how can i get him back what can i do it was just that that shock Panic and pain and love at the same time. Because you can see that when he's looking at Leia, he is seeing Anakin, he's seeing Padme, he's seeing tragedy and what became of her father and what he did. Because at that point, he believes he killed him. He killed his... I mean, that changes everything. I mean, you could see why Obi-Wan would be broken based on everything that he's been through. And based on Order 66 alone, you you would definitely be understanding to why a man would feel that way. Or anyone would feel that way. But it changes the entire arc of what happened before that moment. He thought that not only did his Padawan, his son, his, his brother start this whole thing. He believed he was the one that killed him. And that he was gone. So when he's looking at Leia, he's seeing a dead father and a dead Not mother. just that. Someone who he made an orphan. In his, I'm not saying he did, but in his mind, I think in his mind, he is responsible for this person being an orphan. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Obi-Wan is, you know, he, he has to feel responsible for Order 66. He played the biggest one of you know part two of the biggest hand of this whole situation but the fact that he's alive 
And now Anakin is... <laughs> he did not kill Anakin. And Anakin is now Darth Vader. And Darth Vader lives. I mean, he knew that Darth Vader was... You know, Anakin was Darth Vader, but he had thought he had died. He lived under the rock for so long. But when she says, Darth Vader, Anakin is alive. He now knows that not only did he not kill Anakin, but Anakin's been killing people. And it's not just the Inquisitors and Palpatine that are killing people. It is Anakin. He didn't just make a mistake, get bloodthirsty on the dark side. No, he's still living in it, basking in it. And he is living off his pain and his existence. And he is thriving off of it. It's a huge reveal. It, re- it really is. And I feel like in all of the excitement, like I almost, when you when you talk about it, I almost wish it was one episode a week just because there were so many big reveals and so many big moments that I feel like that reveal kind of, not even a reveal, that realization got lost. Because again, like we're all thinking Obi-Wan's been dealing with this for 10 years. And then just to find out this is a, this is a fresh wound. This is a fresh wound. And that to changes add on years of fresh wounds. Everything. That changes absolutely everything. And I feel like that, uh, again, I struggled to say even reveal that realization for us as an audience and him as the protagonist is is groundbreaking. But but just, you know, the, the Leia of it all and the Alderaan of it all and the galaxy hopping of it all, I feel like this did get, get a little bit lost in the shuffle almost. Well, and when you look at Obi-Wan's character... And everything that he's lost. And that he is now believed that he killed his brother, his friend, who was going to cause more chaos in the galaxy. The revelation that you didn't even get that right. So not only not only did you, in his brain, I'm not saying this is correct, but in Obi-Wan's mind right now, not only were you part of the cause for the Empire taking control, for the pain of a galaxy... The murder of your friend, who you loved and was everything to you, now you realize that that person, you couldn't even kill him. He's still alive and causing more pain. So there's all this, there's 10 years of pain and death that has been happening in the galaxy that you've been oblivious to for this entire time. It's a huge reveal because that pain carries. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like now we kind of have to really dive into the third episode. Oh because... my god, thank you so much, because I will tell you, this is the first episode of Star Wars where I have fucking notes. Yeah, yeah, I actually, for for the first time in a very long time as well, sat here and, and on my second viewing today, it was just like, oh, here's what we gotta talk about. Um, but just going into the, the Vader and the Anakin of it all, like, I... I don't want to jump around too much because there's so much to talk about in this episode. But one of the things I absolutely loved was seeing how fierce and how careless Vader was. And I don't say careless as in like, you know, he doesn't care about what he's doing, but like caring about the people for him to just be walking through the street and just force choking and dragging random people. You know, we've, we've said it before, at least I've said it before. Like, yeah, I love the books and I love the comic books, but my my gripe with it is, with the exception of Rogue One, we never really fully get to see why people are afraid of Vader. 
right? We we just kind of take it for granted and we assume people are afraid of Vader. I've always wanted to see why. And now I get to see why. And And one of the things like, yeah, in Rogue One, it looked really cool and he was so powerful and he was so quick, but... It was more of a battle scenario, and I feel like certain things are acceptable in battle, whereas this wasn't. This was literally just him walking down a common street, just absolutely wreaking havoc. And that, I think, was a major, major, major moment for me and and just for what Vader could do. Yeah, to see the demon Mm -hmm. in your own eyes from Obi-Wan's perspective... And to see him tip over, I mean, there's there's so much. I, I think episode three, to me, is my favorite of the, the series so far. And it's not just because... Actually, I think it has it has very little to do with Vader and more to do with Obi-Wan in, yeah. in my head. Um, you know, when we when we talk about the way it opens, he's still trying to reach out to Qui-Gon. Mm-hmm. But he's still very much broken. He's just like a half-ass, Master Qui-Gon, help me, please. You know, he's not like... He's not on his knees begging. He's just like kind of reaching out. And I think the best dialogue that describes being a Jedi versus being a Sith has been described in the show. Have you ever been afraid of the dark? Mm. How does it feel when you turn on the light? That was so beautiful as a line. Yeah. And it's no, so it was, it was really good. But it's funny that he says it because I don't think he believes it yet. I don't think he believes it anymore. No, I don't it believes it anymore. I think he said it in a in a way, and again, like kudos to you and McGregor's acting, because it came across as almost like a, a very reminiscent, like he remembers when it felt this way. But it doesn't feel like it, that. Right exactly, now. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost like listening to your favorite song in high school that you related to so much. And while you still like the song, you just don't relate to it as much because you're obviously in and, such a different place. It's, it, it felt what, like that. Yeah. And, and one of my favorite things about, um, I actually made the smart decision of, I watched the, the twin sons episode of rebels before this episode. Nice. Good call. So I got to see where Obi-Wan ends up. Very confident, yeah. very sure of himself, very, he knows his job, mm-hmm. you know, is he the chosen one? What an arc to watch where he is and where he is now. The broken man versus the man who he is in the Twin Sons episode of Rebels. That's a great idea. It's beautiful to watch it and go back. And I recommend all of our viewers, before the next episode of Obi-Wan, Watch the Twin Suns episode. It is such a like Superman versus Batman contrast that you'll see where this man is going and then be dropped to where he is now. It's a it's it's it was beautiful to actually experience that. Um, but I mean, because it, it's not even like he's he's just broken. One of my friends even pointed out like he loves the very realistic interpretation of a panic attack and to see Obi-Wan actually go into a full blown panic attack when he senses Vader coming, you know, and he's watching all of this. That's, that's incredible. 
you know that's something i i love to see i love when a show really can so accurately like show what it's like to go through a panic attack and then to see your childhood hero from from when he was younger and when he was older go through it himself is is such an amazing way to show just how broken he is yeah, and I mean, since we're backtrack, or I mean, we'll backtrack if we need to later. But since we're on the Obi Wan seeing, you know, Vader for the first time, they aren't. I think a lot of people were expecting that rematch kind of vibe, the prequel feeling that we've been promised would happen at some point in the show, the prequel kind of lightsaber battle stuff like that. Watching it a second time really helps with understanding and seeing what both of these characters are going through and the emotion that they're feeling. And it's important to recognize while, while Anakin is very evil and he is still very much Vader, he's not the Vader that we meet at the beginning of new hope. He is still a blend of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. He is still a mixture of emotions. He has not quite mastered being in this suit, in this body. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that go on, and the fact that upon a second viewing that Obi-Wan is running and he's not exactly fighting, it, it shows a reflection of the character that doesn't exactly know what to do with himself. So for, for people that maybe like kind of thought this would be an epic battle, a super cinematic battle where Vader would be throwing things, ripping things off the dirt, and Obi-Wan would be fighting him prequel style, these characters at this point in time have no idea what to do with each other. They, especially Obi-Wan, like Vader yeah, very yeah, much I wants mean, to kill him. But have you ever been so mad that you can't actually react? You're just like kind of barking. You're like, bah, bah. yes, you're, you're yeah. not like at your best. You're like so revved up that you can't actually move. And I think from Vader's standpoint, he's so revved up on the kill that and the emotion behind it that he's not thinking clearly. He is blood drunk before the blood has been actually spilled. And from Obi-Wan's standpoint, he has no idea how he feels about any of this because this is a span of like two days. And so he is very much running and trying to deal with what is actually going on. And when you really, when you get a traumatic event like that, where you are dealt with the same PTSD, which they showed in episode two very much about the clone soldiers and the, the PTSD that they felt. Um, he's dealing with the PTSD of like, how do you fight someone you already thought you killed? So while it might not be cinematic, it is truth to the characters on both ends, Vader's and being blood well, drunk and Obi-Wan's under like unsureness of like where he's going with it. I mean, more of a reason, though, too, why we couldn't get, like, a prequel-level style of duel is because physically you have someone who's working out every day versus, ha versus someone who hasn't been to the gym in 10 years. So that's number one. But yeah. more importantly, to your, to your points, yeah, it's, it's the PTSD plus the fact that he's only had two days to comprehend all of this. What I think is incredibly impactful in Obi-Wan kind of running and still trying is it has that glimmer of hope that he still has something left, right? He didn't find this out and he didn't see Vader for the first time and think, oh, okay, I, I lost. I'm going to stop fighting. He still feels enough responsibility for Luke that he keeps running. And he now feels enough responsibility for Leia that he keeps running. 
And the other thing we need to remember, he like like you said, the the realization that Anakin is live and Anakin is now Vader. That's one thing. But not ten minutes before this, did he learn for the first time since he had been living under that rock that they're not just hunting Jedi anymore. They're hunting kids who are force sensitive. He didn't know that. He is just finding this out. And and that I think gives him kind of a, a new motivation and a new purpose because it's not just, hey, you know, a Jedi is is best survive best survives now by hiding. It's it's I have to protect these innocent life forms. Yeah, and I th- I think you're exactly correct on that part of his survival. It, I, I think there's a, a lot of complexity to it, but what I'm trying to say to our listeners, to me, is if you have watched this and you didn't feel like it was a cinematic event like Mustafar, I mean, that, that to me, that yeah. is my favorite action scene of Star Wars in general is the battle between Anakin and Obi-Wan on Mustafar. If you were expecting that, I think you guys will get this emotional buildup that will lead to a fight like that. I just want you all to understand it's the gonna, actual place of these characters. It's going to happen. It's, it's going right to be now, more of a Return of the Jedi type of duel where maybe it's a little bit slower and it's a little bit more dialogue driven, but it's more the emotional component. Yes. Um, you know, but there also is... <laughs> I, I definitely think, and, and there has been, like, the cinematographers have talked about, this is very much going to be a prequel fight at the end of this series. Um, mm-hmm. Like, a, a high cinematic battle between the two. But for those of you who felt like this wasn't the battle you thought it would be, just understand the emotional impacts and what these characters are feeling because this is very much a character driven show on based on how we're feeling based on our world situation this is an emotional intelligence show right now as we speak and based on these characters they're not going to go full in obi-wan doesn't know what he wants to do yet vader is reeling well one of the things too i wrote in all caps capital letters because I was so excited about it at first and then on second viewing I realized why it was important for an entirely different reason but Obi-Wan in terms of not really not knowing right and and not understanding and he's coming to terms with all this one of the biggest things is I we ha- we have to talk about the the underground railroad right for for the hiding and, and protecting Jedi and force sensitive kids. The path. But but when Obi-Wan goes in and he mentions like Quinlan's been here, that was so exciting for me just as such a fan of Dark Disciple and, and loving that character and, and the thought that maybe we could get to see him is really cool. But for Obi-Wan, it's it's the double whammy of one of my closest friends is still alive. And yeah. two, he's in this fight. This, is, this isn't something where it's just, you know, stupid Jedi going and, and trying their best. It's, it's this person who I love and respect as a friend sees value and is, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, I think gives it a little bit more, more credence there as to why Obi-Wan might start to fight back a little bit more and push back a little bit harder as opposed to just being like, 
<laughs> I fucked up. Look what I created. And, and just calling it quits then. Yeah. And, and I would agree with that. I actually don't have anything else to offer with that. And in my notes, it was uh, Quinlan is alive and everything you said is everything that I thought getting that character development, because I'll tell you guys, if you haven't read or listened to dark disciple, it's one of the best, like it's one of the best in the fact that it is so emotional. Like when Mm -hmm. it comes to the high Republic, that last high Republic book, I have still stated that that is my favorite Jedi book of all time. Dark disciple is something that everybody sleeps on and forgets about because of the emotional weight of what it is to be a Jedi and what it is to be caught in this war. And Obi-Wan is very much a uh, influence in Quinlan's life in that Mm. book. And it's something that you don't quite see in the Clone Wars as much. And you don't quite see in the actual canon up until you get that book. But Obi-Wan, like the the fact that Deborah Chow knew that is it just tells me that you guys should definitely be along for the ride because she is reading into everything that is going on in these stories. And she's listening to Dave Filoni because this is very much a Dave Filoni move like Quinlan is alive that is an awakening call not even like a and I'm not saying Filoni ever does fan service by any means I think everything he has such an you know emotional weight to it but it's it's not like a yeah we both had the the moment at first where it's like Quinlan's alive but then you realize what it means to the story and what it means to Obi-Wan and how this is developing his character and it's, it's moments like these where it's best of both worlds because, yeah, you and I, we wanted this character to have been peace and we wanted this development and we wanted him to struggle and get through it. But it's, it's all still happening in such an action-packed way. You know, this, this was a tense episode from start to finish. This was a really tense episode. And I think that this episode ends with Rock Meat Bottom for Obi-Wan. And I if I were to guess where this series is going to project is I would I would guess that episode 4 starts with a lot more shaking, but it ends with him starting to find his path because we've seen different um we've seen plot threads of that hope kind of discovering itself within him but not being realized because there's so much things hitting him all at once. I think that episode four will definitely start off with him still being broken. I mean, it look, whether or not they fought like prequel style fight and whether you feel like Vader might've been a little bit stiff. We've, we've explained, or at least I, I think, I think we've explained pretty well as to our emotional intelligence to why we feel that that is the way it is. But this man's dealt with a lot in a couple days. And I think that self-discovery and those plot threads of hope that have been introduced in this episode alone, I think he will start realizing that. And that's yeah. where we're going to start seeing the comeback story. But to me, I think my favorite part about this was the most emotional part was the fire being spread oh. by Vader. Uh, and emotional or not too it was just great storytelling the way that he did it and just visually with with the lightsaber and and the way he's throwing him around like visually it was great but yet emotionally wow wow i felt every step of that and and to be honest during that i forgot about a new hope and everything that had happened between obi-wan and the fact that he didn't have burn marks 
I legitimately during that scene thought he was going to start bursting into flames. Yeah, I was waiting for like his hair to to light up, to singe up. Yeah, but the fact that he's nothing. burnt, it, it's so genius because it's it's not a convenient retcon to me. Mm. We never saw those burns, but now we know that there's some scar tissue under that hood, mm-hmm. under that robe, that everywhere we go, with Obi-Wan from here on out, he's going to have those scars, those physical scars of the past. And the only way to move it is to look at those scars, remember it, and move on. And I think it's beautiful in, in the worst mm-hmm. way possible because it, it pains yeah, me. I mean, every... it's, it's going to... It's going to be interesting to see how the next three episodes play out to see for sure what exactly those scars remind him of. Are they going to remind him of Anakin and what he did to Anakin and how Vader now sees him? Or is it going to remind him of, you know, when Stella got her groove back? You know, like, is is it going to remind him of why it's important to stay focused and why it's important to... Look, some something big has to happen, right? Because he goes from living under the rock to settling in and and actually having a home with the living room on Tatooine after this. So is it going to remind him of the pain or is it going to remind him of the hope? Yes. And and I look at that burning as a catharsis, a baptism of fire, Mm. of seeing your past through scar form, of feeling that pain, not only, not only emotionally, but physically feeling that pain and how does this character move past it? Because when you pair the twin sons to who he is, to who he is now in the Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, this man is going to find hope and that's the way the trailers have spread it. Hope finds itself. We're going to find hope in this character. This isn't a Zack Snyder film where everything is just broken, broken, broken. (laughs) Eventually we move into justice league where there's hope. And there's there's these things pay off, and I think that this is rock meets bottom, and that catharsis. He's gonna wear those scars for the rest of his life, emotionally and internally. But it's how we move past them, how we let them have their day, let this pain have its day, and we move on. I mean, one thing too before we, I know we've been we've been chatting for a little bit. One thing we I feel like have to not discuss in length because I don't think there's anything to really discuss totally in length. I would die for Tala. Yeah, we have to like she is just an all around amazing character. She is such a good addition. And see, I thought it was beautiful casting because that actress, you know, she's wildly known for Game of Thrones, playing, you know, Mm -hmm. Pedro Pascal's counterpart in Game of Thrones. And she's very um, vengeful. She's cunning. She is, you know, at at one point early on, you know, there was like a, she was definitely going to be the Inquisitor of the show because she just has that look of of Imperial. But when we saw the Imperial, like, actual dress up in the promotional stuff, it was like, yeah, no shit, that's perfect casting. And what I thought was so beautiful about it was it took that per- perfect casting and it dumped it on his head. And she became so much more heartwarming so quickly in a way that I didn't expect because I had stereotyped her as an actress and what she's done. Yeah. She was she was great casting. I, I loved her character. Um, but, but just to know that this show is not just going to be 
here's all the old characters. Here's everyone you already kind of know and, and love and dig a little deeper. I like these. I like when they can introduce new characters in a very just clean and impactful way like they did her. Absolutely. And I want to end it on, or at least I want to give my last addition to, uh, which was a big surprise to me. I, regardless of the Moses Ingram stuff, um, socially, I did not feel like Reva sat right in the first two episodes. I, I didn't quite understand her yet. And while we still have questions like, how does she know, who Anakin Skywalker is. Cause that's a big no, no. Like that's a whole topic mm-hmm. of Sith talk itself is how the fuck does she know? And how has Vader not figured it out and killed her himself? Because Vader does not fuck around with anybody who knows mm-hmm. that he's Anakin. Like you're dead. If you find that out, you're dead. How does she know? But I will say that the character's emotional state and, and how she kind of her hopes and ambitions had more emotional and 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 from an actress standpoint i thought she did a phenomenal job on episode three which adds to my earlier episode um kind of things about like just not being so reactionary to these prequel actors and these star wars actors because i think while we don't have all the answers to reva yet i thought that more of her emotional state paid off a lot bigger in this episode and it made me very much understand where she's at and what she's trying to do from the first two episodes and i think it's important to know that just because a character might seem loud brash reactionary hateful in the first two episodes that we need to remember this is not a movie it's a show and there's very much like there are things that we need to sit on and wait for these things to play out before we get so reactionary and say, why is she so brash? Why is she fighting? Why is she so against? She's, she's so like mad at everyone all the time. She's just like hateful and reactionary and she's risky and she's doing dumb moves and we don't understand why. Well, now we're kind of like learning a little bit more of her emotional state. And I think that was an important part of this episode three is learning Reva's emotional state. And I think she, I think she sat well with me a lot better as a character. Um, jury's still out on that for me. And, and this is nothing against no, I know. Ingram by, no, by any I, means. Absolutely. It's just one. I, I said I had three gripes. They were all dealing with the inquisitors. It was the, the costumes on Tatooine. You're right. It looks better at night. Um, it is the, the Grand Inquisitor and, and Retcon and Canon, essentially. Right. And the, the third is not is not just Reva. It is all of the Inquisitors. I just think it's melodramatic. It's not that they're heated. It's not that they're reactionary. It is, to me, it plays as true melodrama. And for me, it sits very much, especially with episode three, it sits that they don't fuck with Vader, that they have, they all have ambition to rise above, but you don't fuck with Vader. And that Reva is the only one that is truly planting her flag yeah. into, I want to rise in these ranks. I don't give a fuck how I get there. I'm going to do it. And I might die doing it, you know, because like when she says, I hope so. I hope I do. I hope I do. She is generally hoping that she rises those ranks. She doesn't know if she is going to, but she's the one that is being brash. They're all playing ball. The Grand Inquisitor is playing ball to get ahead. 
and the other Inquisitors are playing ball to get ahead, she is very much saying, fuck this. I'm going for it. I'm going for gold because it's live or die. And so in this episode, I guess, while I had criticism that I was prepared to say about Reva in episodes one and two, with episodes three, or, or part three, I'm starting to realize her her motivation, at least emotionally. I I hope I get to that point. I do. Um, uh, I think with, with that being said, I'm not going to say like I hate her because I don't. I, I hope that I get to that point and I have confidence that I will. Um, I think the one thing that I would end on is not so much something we, we need to talk about right now, but just comments made that I'm interested to keep our eye on to see if it does play out at all here or in stories in the future, but more so I think it would just be an interesting topic for you and I on a slower news week is that Obi-Wan mentions he kind of remembers his mother, right? And he gets snippets and he, and he still remembers that emotion. I think I had a yeah, so 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 that's why I think that's something that I would personally like to explore a little bit more in the future is like how does that make him maybe sympathize or not more so with Anakin who does remember his mother and he does remember aspects of his life and things like that. Um, I just thought that that was kind of an an interesting take on things. I mean, there's so many things to go off. I mean, like even just Leia saying, are you my real father? That like Mm. broke me. I wish I was. I I mean, there, there's so many things on the show. And for me at the end of the day, I'm a little bit more inclined to forgive a lot of things because at the end of the day, it's so exciting to watch Obi-Wan and to watch Ewan McGregor in this role. And I still can't wrap my head around that I'm actually seeing this every single week that I'm just awestruck in every single dialogue, every every scene that he's in and the way that the show is going. I really hope it ends strong because right now, as a Star Wars fan, I've never been happier. I've never yeah. been so happy, generally, as a Star Wars fan. I I cannot believe what I'm seeing. And yeah. I'm not No, if, this has been worth the wait. Yes, and, and for the viewers out there that might have some things, you guys are like entitled to your opinion. But for me, I'm just awestruck to seeing my hero as a child, Obi Wan, being on stage. In the in the screen every Wednesday, it's it's truly beautiful. And I will say before we close, because there's so many things we could get to, and we're gonna get to all of it, guys. And we had a lot to cover this episode. Uh, next episode, we'll only have two. We had three very big episodes to cover. Um, there was a lot of ground. So I want to say one more thing that I absolutely loved: how the Anakin Skywalker scene where he sees him in the in the distance. The way my my notes wrote it is Anakin looks like Satan, the Satan from A Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. He very much looks like Satan in the distance when Jesus is like suffering and he's seeing Satan talk to him in the distance. That's the vibe that I got from from Hayden Christensen's Anakin Skywalker. Like when he's looking in that hood in the distance, because say what you want about Mel Gibson, The Passion of the Christ... Satan in that actual movie is so haunting to see to this day. And I got those kind of vibes from Hayden in that scene alone that I was like, oh, 
shit. This is huge. Damn. All right, I'm going to I'm going to keep that in mind. I uh for Rangers your fourth rewatch. So, so I might Yeah, so well, it might not be tonight. Rangers play tonight. So so it might be uh tomorrow, but I'll keep that in mind for sure. All right. So with that being said, guys, Lindsay's got to go to a Rangers game. She's got to chill out, have some <laughs> fun. Um and we are so excited to keep talking about Obi-Wan and we appreciate everybody that's listening to the show. Um, Thank you guys so much for sticking with us throughout all of this time. It's such a blast getting to talk to you guys about Star Wars and this is truly the best time for me to be a Star Wars fan. Um, Where can you find Sith Talk? You can find Sith Talk under the Clashing Sabres podcast feed. Um, If you want to talk to Sith Talk, you can reach out to us on Instagram uh, under Sith Talk. Um, you can reach out to Clashing Sabers, obviously, under the Clashing Sabers Instagram feed. And if you want to really converse with us, we have a pretty active Facebook group under the Clashing Sabers Facebook group that you can check out and comment on your thoughts and opinions about Obi-Wan or anything else. Star Wars, you can find me under Sith Talker 25 talking all things Star Wars, comics, working out, specifically Spartan races, because I'm getting into that. And barbecue, because I'm always cooking those uh, hashtag barbells and meats, baby. Um, <laughs> Lindsay, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, best place to find me really is in our Facebook group, Clashing Sabers. Um, we meant what we said, where we hope Kenobi is your jam, and, and this is also what excites you. If it's not, though, we kind of want to hear why. We want to hear what it is, not even just so much in the we want to hear everything negative, but we want to hear what it is that you you do like about Star Wars. Um, so if you totally disagree with us or why we're excited about any of this, let us know. Um, feel free to hop onto our Clashing Sabers Facebook group. Uh, tag me specifically so so this way I make sure I see it. And I'd love to discuss it a little bit more. And with that being said, may the Force be with you. Always. Hey, looks like you're done talking Sith. Who? Oh, Scion, the bartender. Yeah, he's gone down a couple levels. You're gonna venture down there? Well, there's a few things you should know before you go. Sith Talk, all the Clashing Sabers Network, they ain't associated with Disney, Lucasfilm, or any of their subsidiaries. All these licensed sounds and whatnot all belong to whoever the hell they belong to. We just use them here for entertainment and educational purposes. Look, if you're unsure about something or have questions about what's what, email us at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. And hey, on your way out, make sure you leave us a rating and review. Word of mouth is how people find out about this place. Now, get out of the way, I got paying customers to get you. Jedi business, go back to your drinks.